our series, week 16, the beginning of the end. We've been walking now for these days, looking at the story of God, looking at God's interaction with his people and, and all that's taken place of that. The, the scriptures for, for this week, if you were in the reading, you, you, uh, you have followed along this, this journey of God and people and, and God trying to redeem people and people doing other things and, and all that goes with that. But we, um, this morning, oftentimes what we do on Sunday is try to take a piece of that story a piece that we've been reading in this 31-week journey, and, and to look at it a little more closely. And I want to invite you today to uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. It might be the most famous passage of Isaiah. I think it's at least up there. And it represents a turning point in Isaiah's life. Isaiah chapter 6, and I invite you to, to stand for the reading of the Word one more time. Isaiah 6, first eight verses. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him there were seraphim with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voice, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with from the tongs of the altar. With it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Father, may you add blessing to the reading of your word today, and may we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it was a Wednesday night. It was at Chicago Stadium. It was during a basketball game, the Chicago Bulls and the Miami Heat. When 23-year-old named Don Callahan, Callahoon from Bloomington, Illinois, was pulled out of the stands for a once-in-a-lifetime experience. He was going to be given the chance to shoot a free throw from 79 feet away. That is the other team's free throw line shooting back to the basket. If he was to make it, it's worth $1 million. They pulled him out because they liked his yellow shoes. Next time you go to a basketball game, maybe wear some yellow shoes. I don't know what the lesson is there, but... They liked his yellow shoes, so they pulled him out, they put him on the court. He went back and, and, uh, and, he, and he shot 79 feet away. Nothing but net. One million dollars. It's quite an interesting event. It was especially interesting as he's standing on the free throw line of the opposing team, and he's getting ready to shoot it like a regular basketball, and one of the cheerleaders said, no, that's not how you do it. When you're this far away, you've got to throw it like a baseball. Oh, okay, I'll give that a shot. Apparently it worked fairly well. The other thing that was interesting about it was the team that had sponsored this event for some time never really thought someone would actually make a basket. They scrambled to decide, do we really have the insurance policy in place to even pay this bill? Calhoun's boss says, and I quote, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Calhoun himself says, interestingly, he's been getting phone calls from many people he hasn't heard from in a long, long time. Once in a lifetime, 
You, you and I have maybe not million-dollar events, but we have once-in-a-lifetime kind of things that have taken place in our life that we could tell stories of. of. Isaiah has this once-in-a-lifetime experience. He, he doesn't shoot a 79-foot free throw. He doesn't make a million dollars. But his once-in-a-lifetime experience might be, is more profound. Isaiah sees God. Isaiah and his people are living through good times at, up to this point. They're, they're living under the rule of King Uzziah, and, and it is a period of peace. It is a period of, of stability. It's a, it's a period of unprecedented prosperity. The people were affluent. The people felt secure. Life was good. But then suddenly King Uzziah dies, and everything seems to change overnight. The people no longer know what to expect. There was an uncertainty in their future. There were, there were threats and rumors of war. The way of life that they enjoyed was seeming to come to an end. I think we can identify with Isaiah and his contemporaries, at least in some ways, because I, it seems like that we live today in a time of, of greater uncertainty than at least I've known in, in my lifetime. With all of the things that take place and corporations downsizing and this and that and all, all the things around the world that take place, we also say that this is a generation that perhaps for the first time in history will, will not live up to the standard that their parents lived to. Random acts of violence seem to be reported on every street corner and, and you saw the news this last week of a, of a two-year-old shot in a drive-by in Seattle. What do we do in such stressful times? I think that part of the lesson for us when we're trying to figure out how do we live our life, when we're looking at the story of God, is, is to look at how people who followed after God behaved. And I, I think what we do is we do some things like Isaiah did. He turned to God. In a time of uncertainty, Isaiah went to the temple and he began to pray and he began to seek after God and seek comfort and direction. And there he experienced, I think, some things that you and I need to experience. First of all, Isaiah experienced the holy. As he was praying near the, the vision, uh, near the altar, there's this vision that comes and it changes his life. It changes the direction of his life. He, he saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up. The, the vision is so clear he could even make out the hem of, of the Lord's robe filling the entire temple. And these winged creatures are, are flying around and they're praising God and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, whole earth is full of his glory, and the earth shook, and the temple filled with smoke. Isaiah's vision was dramatic. He, he saw God sitting on the throne. He heard the creatures who were singing praise, and he smelled the smoke that had filled the temple. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, a once-in-a-lifetime experience that would change the trajectory of his life. For he was reminded that God was still God. Even in the midst of the unsurety, even in the midst of all the things that were taking place, God was still God. Earthly kingdoms might be swept away, but there is only one that thing that is eternal. The holiness of the Almighty. Holiness. It seems to be an alien concept in our society, doesn't it? For the world is filled with rubbish. Both physical and spiritual rubbish. I read the story of a British zoologist who was, who was placed out in the middle of, of, of nowhere uh, on an island that was uninhabited uh, a few thousand miles off the coast of New Zealand uh, to do whatever zoologists do. Uh, the nearest uh, people were 300 miles away on another island. 
And part of his study, one of the things that he came up with on this uninhabited island is that he, he cataloged all of the man-made objects that he found on the shore of the island. 953 of them. 953 of garbage. There were buoys, light bulbs, shoes, toys, cans, miscellaneous bits of plastic. Uh, with, uh, after the buoys, the largest class of junk was 171 glass bottles from 15 countries. No word if there were any notes inside of those bottles. We live in a world filled with rubbish, physical and spiritual. We hear language and see things on television today we never would have dreamed of five or ten years ago. Things that were once frowned on by the community are now seen as acceptable. Now hear me, this isn't a rant that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. That's probably another sermon. But I'm simply trying to say this with all the stuff that presses in on our life, how do we find God in the midst of the rubbish? Pastor William Boggs came to a place in his life where he just kind of came to the end of a a road that he needed to take. It was really a fork in the road. He either needed to find new strength and direction or he needed to leave the ministry. It really had come down to that. He had done all that he could. He needed to get away. He needed God's direction. And so he decided to take a sabbatical to a monastery. Now, he felt a little strange with that. This wasn't part of his tradition. He'd never been to a monastery before, never been part of a, of a monastic community. And he was frightened and he was nervous, but after a few days, he got into the routine. And the routine there was, was prayer, praise, silence. Start again. Prayer, praise, silence. And then he started again. Prayer, and he got into that pattern after a while. And it was one day after being there for a few days, he went into his room and felt like he was ready he was ready to begin to hash some things out about where he was with he and God. And he wrote these words in his journal. He says, Here, time is not an enemy to be conquered or an empty vessel to be filled. It is a treasure to be savored. I love those words. Here in the midst of this prayer, praise, and peace time, time is not an enemy to be conquered or an empty vessel to be filled, it is a treasure to be savored. William thought about all the things that were pressing in and amongst his life, and he realized that, that the only way that he could, he could move on, the only way at this fork in the road that he can continue to do the things that God was calling him to do was let God empower him to do the things that God had called him to do. And the only way that God could empower him to do that is if he would spend time in his presence. When everything seems out of control, that's the moment we need to spend to put ourselves in the presence of God. And yet it works actually opposite for us often. When everything seems out of control, it seems like we don't have time for those kind of things. We don't have time to, to, to sit and, and, and listen to how God might speak in the midst of our life. But it really is in those moments when everything is running out of control that we must make that time. That's what Isaiah did. He went to the temple and prayed and he experienced the fullness of God. Notice what happens next. Isaiah became actually aware of his own sinfulness. In the presence of of absolute holiness, Isaiah became very aware of how inadequate he was. I am lost, he says, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. Isaiah felt unworthy. There's nothing surprising about that. Often when we come and experience the 
the amazing grace of God, unworthiness is one of the things that we deal with. There was a, a professional golfer who was having a golf game with, um, with former President Gerald Ford, Billy Graham, and Jack Nicklaus. And they're out having the foursome, and uh, when they got back from the day, another golfer went over to the, to the, to the fourth in that group and said, what was it like to, pray, to, to play with the president and uh, with Billy Graham? The golfer kind of shrugged, and he said, I don't need Billy Graham shoving religion down my throat. And he went over and grabbed a bucket of balls and started to swing at them in ways that it was clear he was trying to work out some frustration in his life. After he'd worked through the bucket of balls, his friend came back to him and he said, I'm sorry, was uh, Billy a little hard on you? And embarrassed, he said no. He never even mentioned Billy to me. Billy Graham had said nothing about God, Jesus, religion, and yet... As they began to talk, and it's a bigger story, as they began to talk, what it really came down to is the man himself recognized in being one who walked, being next to one who walked with Jesus, he recognized his own poverty, recognized his own issue, his own unholiness. Sometimes those can be tough moments when we slow down enough, when we listen enough, and we recognize our own inadequacies. But I can tell you this, there is no hope for advancement unless, first of all, we are conscious of our need. There is no hope in moving forward until we get to that point in which we recognize, I am a man of uncleanness, and I live among a people of uncleanness. Isaiah experienced the holiness of God, became aware of his sins. He felt unworthy. But nevertheless, Isaiah heard God's call. Now, Isaiah could have been paralyzed when he heard this call. He could have been overwhelmed with this sense of, of unworthiness that, that, that the battle was too great. He, he just didn't have what it took to, to follow what God was asking him to do. And I think that often that happens with people. But Isaiah was not paralyzed. He watched this vision as, as this, these tongs were, were brought and this hot coal comes and it touched his lips. And he hears the voice that says, you have been forgiven. Your sin is blotted out. And then he hears God himself speak these words. Whom shall I send? Who shall go for me? And without hesitation, Isaiah volunteers, here am I. Send me. Isaiah had one of those moments that changed the whole direction of his life. He became a new man. He experienced the forgiveness of God. He really recognized the grace of God in his life. And it was a new beginning for him. And, he, and Isaiah would go on to be the mouthpiece of God to his people. That's just part of Isaiah's story. It's just a chapter. It's just a moment. And yet, when we look at that snapshot of Isaiah, it begins to ask the question for me, how does, how does that story impact my story? What, what, what can that speak in the midst of the where you and I live today? And I actually think it speaks in the same three ways to us. For first, in the craziness of our life, we, we must, we absolutely must, we must take time to come into the presence of the holy. We must set aside that time. We must carve out that time or the rubbish that is around us will bury us. 
how are you doing? How am I doing? Those are the questions that we begin to ask when we read this story. How are we doing at coming into the presence of God in our lives? In the midst of all of the stuff, in the midst of all the things we care about and worry about and all the things that press in, how well are we doing in setting that aside and just coming into the presence of God? The second thing I think that Isaiah's story speaks to us is it is in the spending the time with the holy we are reminded that God is God and I am not. I don't know about you, but this is a lesson that I need to learn on a regular basis over and over again. We are reminded of the rubbish. We are reminded of our need for a Savior and we are reminded that we have one in Jesus Christ who touches our lips and touches our lives and forgives us not by the merit of our own abilities, but by His amazing grace poured out for us. The resurrection, Easter, brings freedom. Freedom to be who God called us to be. The third thing I think that speaks into our story, we are reminded that if you take time to come into the presence of the Holy, if you, if you set aside the time to come into the presence of the Holy and you recognize that you don't come by your own merits, you, you don't come because you are worthy, you come because you're forgiven, because you have been worthied, then the next step you can't help. You, 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 you can't help. You can't help but be called into service by God himself. God looks through the rubbish and he says, Whom shall I send? And the answer that you give will directly affect the trajectory of your life. So God is calling you. I don't want you to just let that sentence go. I don't want you to think I was talking to the person who's sitting next to you. God is calling you. And the person next to you. God is calling you. And he wants you to be his hands and feet, his mouthpiece, his presence to people who find themselves buried in the rubbish. And he says to you, whom shall I send? Sam was a man who wasn't sure he could really do anything valuable for the kingdom. Never felt like he could do anything big enough that really mattered to God. And, and uh, was always searching for how, what could he do to make a difference. The youth group in his church went every month to, uh, once a month, do a, a little church service at the nursing home in their community. And he thought, well, I don't like to do anything up front. I, I don't want to be in front of people, but, but I, I'll go and maybe there's something I could do. Maybe it's a way to serve. So Sam went and the youth group was up doing the service and doing the things that they were doing. And, and as he was standing in the back of the room, a man in a wheelchair uh, rolled himself up next to Sam and and reached up and took a hold of Sam's hand and held it the entire service. And the same thing happened next month when Sam came back. And the next month. And the month after that, and the month after that, and the month after that. Sam came one Sunday with the youth group, and he was standing in his regular spot, and he was waiting for his friend to come, and no one ever came. And he asked the nurse who was in charge what, where, where his friend was, and she said, oh, he's near death. He's uh, third room down on the right. You can go visit if you'd like, but, but he's unconscious now. So Sam made his way down there and he went into the room and there were, were tubes everywhere and it wasn't a pretty sight. And, and he went over and he, 
and he took a hold of the hand of the older gentleman in the bed and, and instinctively led by the Spirit, he, he said a prayer. And when he said amen, his old friend squeezed his hand. And it brought tears to Sam's eyes. In fact, it brought more than tears. He just began to, to shake as, as, as he prayed that, that prayer and finished. And, and he, he had to leave the room. He had to get out of there. And, and, he, and he started out the door. And he, as he was trying to get out of the door, he was met by a woman who was walking in the same way. And she looked at him and she said, Oh, oh, he's been waiting for you. He, he did not want to die until Jesus held his hand. And I tried to tell him that after death he would get to walk and talk with Jesus and he would hold Jesus' hand. And he said, No, no. Once a month, Jesus comes and holds my hand. And I don't want to go until Jesus comes one more time. And in faith, the old gentleman was holding the hand of Jesus. Like Isaiah, Sam said, Here am I, send me. And here's the deal. When you'll answer God's call and say, Here am I, send me, you don't go by yourself. He always goes with you. He will go with us as we venture forth to share the good news, to be, to be Jesus in somebody's life, even if we never speak. To venture forth in the vision that God has for us and for our church in this community. See, the question of Isaiah is still the question that's being asked today. God looks at each of you and each and me and he says, who will go to your place of business? Who will go to your school? Who will go to your neighborhood? Who will go? Who will go to that family member? And how you answer that question makes a difference not only for you, but for all those who are waiting for you to hold their hand. Would you stand with me? Father, we give thanks this morning that we have been in your presence. We give thanks for the opportunity to come and to worship, to sing songs of praise, and the very the very just coming in the building an act of worship. We, we want that to be an offering to you and a recognition of our need of you. But Father, we, we open up these words of Isaiah and, and are always amazed at how, how the story of those you've used in the past also <laughs> work right into the story of our own life. And I really do believe, God, that you... You are about the business of calling us into your presence in the midst of our impurity, in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of the things that don't always go the way we've planned them to go, calling us into your presence, reminding us that it isn't by our ability, it isn't about our, by what we earn or about who we are, but it is about what you have done for us. It is about honoring you with our, with our life and, and, and answering the question that I think you ask each person in this room. Who will go for me? 
Father, my prayer is that here in this place, in this day, before we leave, we would answer that question. Here am I. Send me. That we might make a commitment right here in this very moment. Here am I. Send me. Whether it's to hold a hand or to just be a presence. Whether it's to get hands dirty or, or to do things that not necessarily my will, but your will be done. Or whatever else might be on the list. Here am I. Send me. And God, I really believe that if we will say that today, and we will say it with our full-heartedness, you will respond and give us some places this very week. You will give us this places this very week to represent you, to be your mouthpiece, to be your hands and feet, to, to be the one who, who shines forth because of this grace that is so evident in our lives. God, my prayer is this week that you would help us find the cracks in, in, that are exposed in people and help us pour love into those cracks. Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. May we know your presence in a deep and powerful way this week. May we experience fresh joy as we once again commit to be your hands and feet wherever you send us to go. Lord, we want to look more like you, less like us. May your kingdom be expanded because of the faithfulness of people in this very room. Here we are. Send us. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you as you go.